Today's show is sponsored in part by InterOptic. Stop paying OEM prices for optics and get brand-equivalent transceivers at a fraction of the cost. InterOptic is your reliable data interconnect company. Find out more at interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. Cumulus Networks is a packet pusher sponsor, and they're announcing a brand new networking certification, the Cumulus Certified Open Networking Professional. We'll tell you more about it later in the show, but if you can't wait, go to cumulusnetworks.com slash cert. Today on Heavy Networking, a network transformation. Ooh, ah, yeah, sounds like marketing, but it isn't. This is a discussion about a migration to Cisco ACI and VMware NSX technologies paired with some automation, but it wasn't all beers and cheers on the way to success. There were some rocks along the way. Joining us for a warts and all story is Derek Wilson, a principal network consultant at a big company. We're just going to leave it there, big company. All right. Derek, welcome to Packet Pushers. You had raised your hand and said, hey, I did this cool project, and uh, I think it might be interesting to people. We agree, so thanks for raising your hand. And a sentence or two, man, just tell us who you are and what you do. Yep, uh, thanks for the invite, and it's uh, good to be chatting with you both. Uh, so I've been in IT for about 29 years now, which uh, sounds like a, an ordinate uh, amount of time. And you're still the, sane? <laughs> you know, well, that's debatable. It yeah. Depends you ask. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So I started with um, System X, X25 back in the day. Worked for a bunch of companies, including oil companies, doing subsea wellhead control system design. Um, done a bit of time with Marconi into Level 3, who we've probably heard of, a uh, backbone company. Self-employed for about four years. And uh, I'm with the, the company I'm with now. been there for about eight years, I think, consulting internally and building data centers. Well, lovely. Now, let's get into this this uh, scenario here. You were asked to do a pretty major evaluation replacement of an existing environment. You were going from, from one network set up to, to a different one. Can you talk about what you had? What was there that you were trying to replace? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's get started. The, um, I, I've been in the company for eight years, uh, done a bunch of stuff, like I mentioned, and then uh, due to internal reorg, um, got moved into the area I'm in now. And really the first job in through the door was to look at the existing, it really was five data centers, but we're moving out of one. So it was four data centers, core infrastructure that was sitting there doing its job. And um, it was a case of, well, it's been there for quite a, f- a few years. We, we got to put some improvements on the ground and, you know, uh, have a look at it, see what you make of it, and uh, let's let's come up with a solution to improve it and do, do a bit of a hardware refresh, really. So that, that was the initial job. So it was a case of having a look and seeing, seeing what we could do to um, increase the capacity and just uh, in, improve what was there. So would you say that was working? Yeah, and it, and it was working, and it is working really, mm. and it, and, it, and it works well. Really, uh, to be honest, the, one of the reasons I had to look at it was it was a victim of its own success. They uh, would run out of ports on on the main core switches, so we were getting to or getting close to running out of ports. So it was a case of uh, the guys who looked at capacity and the pipeline coming into the business would say, "We have, you know, we're we're placing new pods into this infrastructure at this rate." Uh, at the same rate, we're going to end up running out of ports. And then what do we do? Do we, do we put in an aggregation layer under the core? Or is there something just better that we could do and do a refresh? It uh, okay. So it wasn't that the, the, the system that was there was just so miserable that you just, oh, my gosh, we got to replace this thing. It was, hey, we're running out of ports. Maybe we'd start to think about something new. So you just kind of took the industry for a spin to see what was out there. Exactly. Yeah, right. exactly. And the, you know, we're, we're going to get into the guts of what ended up rolling out, but the, the existing network network is still there and it's still doing a good job. Yeah, sure. We're going to look at trying to move on to the new stuff, but um, there's nothing wrong with the existing stuff. It's, it's working away fine. Yeah. The thing that had evolved over time was that um, within, within the compute infrastructure, if uh, a, a tenant would come along, they'd be given something uh, that, Call compartment. A compartment is essentially where they're going to put their application, and uh, most of that's well, all of that's virtualized. Um, they were given, a, you know, firewall pairs. They were given load balancers, virtual load balancers, uh, proxies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, wherever they. But they were required. all VMs. They weren't physical yeah, units. Yeah, exactly. But initially, initially, the 
the way out for um, each VM was up up to the firewall, and then the firewall would BGP up to core, and then the BGP the core would BGP out to wherever it needed to go. And and if you needed to get from one data center to another, that would be the route it would take. If you needed to get the backup, much the same. Now things evolved. Over the years, and you know, new backup solutions were brought in, and um, a, the, you know, a whole data center interconnect mesh was built. And then uh, to get from one VM and one site to backup, all of a sudden we're not following the default route anymore. Uh, yeah. You know, we're, yeah. we're putting a static route in, and to get to another site, we're putting a static route in. So things like that needed addressing as well, because you know there was just improvements to be made within the compartment for uh, for the way we route out. So there was improvements to be made. We, it worked, but, you know, could do better. Be the so, report card. So as you began looking ahead to the new stuff, did you have, what were the limits on what you could evaluate? I mean, did you have like budget concerns or you had these established vendor relationships so you could only work with those particular vendors? What what was it that like tied your hands as you were looking at new stuff? Um, initially, uh it didn't seem very much. Uh, the, the the group I work for, um, they're, they're pretty open. If you've got a good argument and a good reason, uh, the, we know the my peers and my the management, they definitely listen. And, uh, of course, there's a budget. Uh, there's always a budget. But um, it, it was a case that that wasn't really an initial constraint. It was, a con- it was to come up with something that was good and work and gave us, you know, scalability. We wouldn't just quickly run out of ports. If capacity people uh, looked at all this network, said they need more bandwidth, there's a way to deal with that as well. So, um, you know, I did go in initially thinking, all right, so so I'm I'm interested in the hardware, I'm interested in all that front-end hardware, I'm probably going to go uh, spine leaf. So, you know, that's that's where I went wading in initially. Hmm. Uh, So it sounds, so the idea of an ECMP network made of pizza boxes wasn't, was made on the basis that it would scale out, scale bigger than a chassis. Yeah. Like the, the limitations of a chassis is ultimately there's only so many blades and so many ports and the costs of operating a chassis are pretty substantial because juggling blades is expensive these days. It's a lot easier just to build an ECMP and say, and go back to the business and say, no, you can't have your fancy wing dangler thing, just have this. So ECMP was really a scale out requirement. Yeah, exactly. And we, and that, that's where I certainly looked initially was um, ECMP, spine leaf. The leafs would replace the, uh, the, the uh, top racks for the, our pods, and then uh, the spines would obviously do the spine part. We'd have a couple of leafs dedicated to um, breaking out to uh, external WANs. But at this point, I wasn't thinking ACI at all. You know, I, I was thinking of uh, looking at a couple of vendors, which I did do, uh, we we went with Cisco in the end. We got a good relationship with Cisco, and you know a, a lot of our kit within the data center is Cisco already. So hmm. thinking of support and ops and all the kind of that kind of stuff, it was just a uh, an easy decision to make, really. Um, hmm. Well, just curious, what what else did you consider? I mean, I think I understand why you went with Cisco, but uh, you know, as far as the uh, you know, the hardware, but who else was was in the running? Uh, in the way of vendors. Yeah, like when you're looking at you know a Juniper setup or you know who else was in the mix? Yeah, well, the one of the main ones I looked at was Arista. We 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 looked at them, uh, and when it comes right down to it, you know the speeds and the feeds they're pretty much the same. So then it's a case of um, looking at more layer eight stuff. You know who who we got relationships with, and you know how they treated us. And we had a good relationship with Cisco. We we buy a lot of stuff mm-hmm. from them, so we you know we've got the account managers, we've got the ops guys, we've got twenty four seven ops here so you know they they know how to raise the tickets uh, we've got support wrap etc et well, so it okay, sounds but, like price wasn't a consideration then it was almost because the if, if you've got staff on well if you've got staff on prem from a vendor you're paying for those somehow somewhere if you're going to buy more from that vendor and bet on having those staff there you're paying for those staff to be there in your maintenance contract somehow exactly so yeah it's not free right when a you know, when because every one of those engineering headcount, they're worth somewhere between two hundred and fifty to five hundred thousand a year US dollars a head each to put them on premises, because 
especially depending on how many, like if you've got more than five of them, then you have to have a manager. So it gets really expensive at that point. Yeah, we don't have on-prem uh, guys from Cisco. We've got people we, we deal with in the account, but yeah. all, the, all the guys uh, feeding water and taking care of this, they're all uh, in-house staff. Not, not Cisco people that were you know, uh, helicoptered in to, to work with you. Um, another question here about the the ultimate underlay solution of Cisco ACI. I mean, Cisco as a vendor, the relationship, the operational familiarity for Cisco, okay. But ACI is a different beast altogether. So mm, you, you, you could argue that, yeah. geez, you ended up with ACI. That kind of was more or less a whole new thing anyway. So how did you end up there as opposed to a more traditional like layer three leaf spine? Yeah, so, and you're not wrong, ACI is a completely different beast. And when I started this, um, my background, uh, sure, I've done some pretty big designs in some um, pretty big data centers, but they've all been traditionally, um, I've, I've not done spine leaf before. So, you know, every time I've rolled out a data center, it's kind of core aggregation layer. You find out, you consult, you find out what they extra stuff they need and you go and learn a bit about that if i need to join data sense together otv you know if i need to do vpn i look at you know secure um vpns out with the data center etc but you're just kind of adding if you, you know another string to your bow each time you go along whereas aci was something completely different now, i wasn't initially considering it so i spec'd up the solution for doing a homespun spine leaf and and the more I looked at it, to be quite frank, the more complicated it got. You know, the, I needed to provide something for a multi-tenant environment. So uh, th- this is going to be shared. And to keep everybody separate, you know, you, you work on the VRFs. Um, then getting from a leaf to a, a spine, you know, I'm looking at multiple VRFs, multiple BGP sessions. Then when we a tenant buys a new pod and, uh, you know, I've got to put some leafs into that pod, what I really wanted to do was make that repeatable action simple. And we'll get on to how we accomplish that with ACI in a bit. But initially, I was thinking, geez, you know, it, it, when, we, when we're going to deploy a bunch of these leaves and I've got to, um, or somebody, because it, it's got to be repeatable, has got to go and get those leaves and hook them back into the spines, set up all this BGP business and et cetera, et cetera. That, that's just looking complicated. And any design... Well, any design I try and do, I mean, we can make things as, as um, fancy or, you know, give ourselves a pat on the back and put a badge on our chest and say, you know, look what I've achieved. But if it's not um, really supportable because of just the complexity, then it's no use to anybody. So. So, so effectively, all those requirements imply a complicated environment no matter. So what you really yeah. did here was take out all the manual stuff VRFs, uh, et cetera, that you would have had to do to meet a multi-tenant environment over that leaf spine, all the BGP sessions, et cetera, you would have had to stand up to make it all go and said, you know what? I don't want to deal with that operationally and have to deal with all that config management and troubleshooting when things don't stand upright and so on. I'm going to offload that complexity to ACI and let ACI software magic that away for me. Is that a fair way to put it? That's pretty much. And there's a couple other things, you know, when, when we're looking at estates and other states I've worked on, um, when you're dealing with multiple switches, especially in different data centers and over a period of time when different people have built different parts of it, uh, you know, we had um, maybe switches, comparable switches on different software levels. Um, you've got config drift between uh, sites and, and even within the site, et cetera. And I was thinking, you know, if I'm going to put a spine leaf here and, and, and repeat that in different data centers, then that problem doesn't go away. Uh, mm. You know, that's still there. And then I got talking about ACI to to the guys in, in Cisco, and um, I don't want to ever feel like I'm being sold at. So, they, you know, they were talking mm. to me ACI, and I was kind of like keeping them at arm's length, thinking, yeah, what, whatever type of stuff. I'm, I'm listening, but I'm, I'm I'm not listening at the same time. But... In the background, I was doing some research and trying to, you know, get as much information as I could. And the more I looked at it, the more I was kind of getting sold on the fact that this could really help me in, in so many levels. Um, just taking care of a fabric, which is, um, you know, in one data center. Sure, we're going to have it in others, but, you know, 
it's easy then to get everything on the same code level. It's easy to, or easier to, to start getting every port on every leaf, just talking the same way. There's no config drift there. And, you know, and then if I can repeat that into the other data centers, then great. You know, it sounds like a win. Would you, so based on what you're saying there, you're telling me I'm hearing you are a big company, you've got lots of data centers, and you've got a big company problem. Let's ask a question for people in the audience who have smaller companies. Would you still think that Cisco ACI would fit that if you were a smaller company with one, maybe two data centers, and you had, didn't have the same sort of, I've got a lot of other people doing the operations? Would it still would ACI still scale down? Yes, uh, absolutely. And you get the benefit. The benefits are, um, well, you can have only a couple of leafs if you want. You can have a couple of leafs doing your border leafs um, business, you know, connecting out to one. And and even if you just had one pod or a few things you need to connect to, pick the leafs that's appropriate and, and that's fine. Uh, what you get or what we I found you get, and I'm I'm no salesman for Cisco or ACI, you know, it just, it just fitted what we needed. But uh, from the deployment I've done, it does make uh, taking care of the things like I mentioned, the code level and just the, repeatability and once you get your head around the object model that ACI uses and that that penny didn't drop for me for quite a while I've got to say you know I needed to work through it a number of times but mm. once you start getting used to that and just where things sit in ACI it does it does kind of make sense and um, yeah you don't have to be a big operation to make get, glean the benefits out of it I don't think at all. Mm-hmm. The object model you were mentioning, like endpoint groups and the way traffic flows through the system, a leaf node and a spine node, and they call the infrastructure space and you know, the various other odd terminology or something else? Yeah, the, uh, not not so much a spine leaf. That's kind of, uh, that, that was easy to get my head around it. But yes, the other bit, the, the, how things relate to each other within ACI itself. And because... Traditionally, if I just take a step back, uh, if I was deploying this without ACI, so I would have your spines and your leafs, and then if I'm putting, say, four leafs into a pod, there's 192 ports. So I'd have to make sure that every port, you know, was configured correctly and had the same kind of, you know, if I was using CDP or LDP or um, storm control or all that kind of good stuff that you'd set. Sure, you could template it, but there's 192 touch points I've got to do. Then I, you know, I, I, I'm going to put another pod on. I've got to do it all over again, etc. So with ACI, you basically just um, have a template that's built into the fabric, um, and and it will say for this port, 25 gig port, you want CDP, you want this, that, and the next thing. Then you relate that to all the 25 gig ports that you want to use. So immediately when you plug a host into that 25 gig port it automatically gets all those settings. So settings are applied to all the ports, so they're exactly the same, so you don't have a config drift. It's done instantaneously, so you're not waiting for an engineer to go around and SSH into all these leafs and and, and, and run, a te- run a script or, or, or configure each one. It's, it's the work in ACI is done up front. That much I have absolutely learned. If you can put in the, the work up front to get the object model right or what you're trying to do, then it saves you stacks of time uh, mm. afterwards, yeah. You mentioned having several different locations. So, like, I think you said four, maybe five different data centers. Um, yep. How did you deal with the APIC controller for that? Do you have, like, one gigantic ACI domain that spans those different data centers, or are they each individual environments? How did you lay that out? Yeah, so we we have each treat each one as each individual environment. So we've got the APIC cluster for each one, uh, each of the data centers. Um, initially, uh, when I started this journey about a year and a half ago, we didn't really consider the multi-site, multi-pod. Um, we treat each one as an individual. And, uh, you know, they any anything that needs to go between the sites, we had our own um, DCI anyway. So it was easy to get the packets between the sites. And that just seemed like the most... For us at the time, is this the most simplest and um, and and kind of easiest way to go? Hmm. Now we got to get into the NSX part of the conversation here, and, and we've been talking about what you what ACI solved for you, the different features that it gave mm-hmm. you, and so on. Yeah. Um, 
but then you needed NSX as well for some other functionality. So wh- where does ACI stop and NSX start? What did you need NSX to do for you that ACI wasn't doing? Yeah, uh, good question. I asked myself uh, asked myself this as well. So initially, um, when I joined the program, uh, NSXV was uh, already being looked at by a couple of people. And they'd gone down the road with that so much so that we all the hosts in each of the site already had NSXV fib um, rolled out to them. And they'd done the job of getting off of VLAN backport groups uh, through the state to BXLAN. So, you know, it looked like it was pretty much um, installed. We weren't using the NSX part yet, but essentially it was there to act as an improvement to the compartments that I talked about already. It, it was a case of the routing within the compartment uh, was going to be within NSX. And the existing compartments that tenants were using, we were going to try and improve that and migrate them onto the NSX way of working. So I kind of put that to one side and um, thought, okay, there's, there's some people looking at that. That's, that's, that's fine. They can just tell me what they need out of the underlay uh, in the way of VLANs or whatever, and, and we can supply that. But I didn't really give it a lot of thought. Um, Later on, when we, you know, I'd gone through the, the spine leaf um, way of thinking, then I kind of got onto ACI, but thinking we're going to use that. Um, the guys looking after the NSX side, they, they were pulled onto another project, and I was asked to basically take that on and look at the whole the whole project holistically. <laughs> Derek, you're not busy. <laughs> hey, can you handle this, you know, <laughs> yeah. NSX thing? No big deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I did feel a bit like that because <laughs> as well as, Trying to get my head around ACI, uh, you know, I hadn't tried to get my head around NSX at all up to that point. So it was a case of, and then we can, you know, it's easy to talk through this stuff as if you, yeah, and then we, then we took ACI. Yeah, and I just changed my mind and then away we went. We just decided to go with it, got to think. But they're huge technologies, aren't they? And you've yeah. probably, you probably know a bit about them both. But, uh, you know, when, you, when you're trying to do a design with them, not just know a bit about them, you you know, you really, it's going to take up most of your life for that time because you're, you're just either yeah. reading about one or reading about the other or to podcast. Well, the thing is you're looking for that, you're hunting for the things you don't know, or I was always looking for yeah. the things I, I couldn't know or the things I was looking for the problems because if there was problems, I didn't want to find them after I'd completed the design. Exactly. Because um, I was there to find problems and solve them in the design. And you're always hunting for, looking for the weaknesses or the failures or where can it go wrong. And it's very difficult unless you, and ultimately in networking, and still true today, is the, the devil's in the detail. Once you set up a broad brush strategy, I'm going to go with SDN, I'm going to have ECMP. Well, okay, you've solved 80% of your design. But the question now is, oh, hang on, my virtual machines now need to have a, their own network. We're going to do some overlay networking. Do I need my underlay to be integrated with the overlay? Well, what does that mean? Well, that means, to my mind, there's lots of reasons in the early days to think that they did, and we've now learned that they don't. What we do in the underlay in the data center is just put so much bandwidth, make it lossless, and then you don't ever have to worry about it. And it turns out that it's cheaper to make a lossless underlay than it is to try and integrate the overlay and the underlay together. Yeah. Is that true? Is that, that, do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, I pretty much agree with that. And uh, just to touch on where we were as well, we were up against it time-wise too. So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, we had to come up. We didn't have all the time in the world to try and come up with uh, some grand solution and rework it and then lab it up and rework it again. Uh, so, yeah, we were we felt pretty, well, I felt pretty pressured at the time. Just to roll back to the question you asked me, so, uh, you know, what, where did NSX come into it? So that's, that is where NSX came into it. Uh, so I took on the V part, and um, we knew that we were looking at ACI. And then I started to um, cobble together some bits of kit and try and get some use cases and lab them up. So we we started to do that. And really, I started going down the route of, you know, maybe we don't need NSX. Oh, maybe I can do all of this on ACI because both of the technologies um, – we weren't live with NSX. Um, there was just a few people that knew about it. But really, whatever we went live with, we're going to have to um, get through the internal service introduction. We're going to have to get the ops guys trained uh, and get their heads around it. Mm-hmm. You know, do I really want to put ACI to them and NSX? You know, uh, it, was, it just seemed like maybe overkill if we could do it all with um just ACI, and we needed ACI. Well, we didn't need ACI, but we needed something that was going to give us new hardware. 
So we couldn't just do it with NSX. We needed so it sounds like you went with ACI to simplify the physical infrastructure. So getting ACI took away a lot of the manual work in your ECMP networking. So you didn't have to worry about VLAN trunking and port configuration and security. Is that, I mean, we didn't talk about ACI as a security tool, but it is that. It is that. And, and it was more of when I got into that, that I realized that actually I couldn't do everything just with ACI. Yeah. Yeah. That, that just didn't fit for us. Uh, initially, we tried, you know, well, we didn't try. We'd done this in the lab and just talked it through. But, you know, within the company, there's a, most companies now, security is pretty much everything. And we've got a huge um, kind of back-end system that, that allows people or application owners to request what security profiles they need. I want A to talk to B. There's a whole process of whether that gets approved or not. Mm. And then um, within that whole system, um, the, this, the, the relevant firewalls get poked to allow either a, a permit or deny, et cetera. And the ACI, and, and they all work still with, there's some tagging, and, but it's essentially five tuple, you know, port, uh, source destination port protocol. Hmm. ACI just doesn't work like that. The contracts, they, they don't work like that. They all no. work with EPGs, and that just didn't fit our model. And that was a model I just couldn't We change. couldn't put the EPG into the VM, which was the weakness, I thought. Yes. Now, they tried. We, we did have a look at AVE, which, yeah. um, you know, is supposed to take the, the endpoint and put it back down into the into the VM. But at the time it looked, uh, it just seemed a bit of an immature product. And it also... It was just something else to get the the staff, op staff, design staff, and you know when they're rolling stuff out to to get an AV on each uh, workload, etc. AVE was fit. the that's the virtual switch that's supposed to integrate with ACI. Um, it's a, it's a virtual endpoint that that goes on the actual workload, and you can do policy okay. enforcement, and various things down there. All the way so, to the endpoint, not not hypervisor exactly. virtual switch, but actually endpoint. Got it. Okay. So so anyway, we. That and for you know a few other reasons, we we just thought that ACI on its own doesn't doesn't fit. What it does a really good job of is just providing a real fast underlay, just to you know get those packets from A to B quickly, and um, all the complexity, if you want to call it that, and the policy enforcement. Then we can use NSX for that within the actual compartment, and that that yeah. seemed a really good fit. Yeah. It's interesting that you frame it this way. In that, if you read ACI literature and focus on endpoint groups and how they describe endpoints, and using Tetration, which is a separate product, but using Tetration to to profile network flows and then put that policy that Tetration suggests and comes up with into ACI, you'd think you would have all the pieces. And what you're saying is not. Not exactly. Not exactly, and not not for not for us, and not for the way we're working. Um, if you uh, these compartments, for instance, a compartment uh, we can give to an application owner, and they can maybe just put one application in there if they want, and they run um, as many DMZs as they want. They've got the web front end, and then the other side of the virtual firewall, they've got their back end, and uh, you know use the firewall to do policy enforcement between them. Some application owners or some tenants will put more than one application in a compartment. And what we found was that, you know, some of them were asking for some micro-segmentation. They have on one DMZ maybe um, more than one application, but and that was fine. But maybe down the line, depending on what they're doing, depending on how the application's involved, they don't want VM1 to talk or, or to be on the same open DMZ to VM2 anymore. And, and what they want is to be able to... Um, Put a policy between that. Uh, when they come, we'd we'd haven't haven't we had to say to them at the moment. So you need a new compartment because you need that firewall um, acting as a policy uh, enforcement area. But with NSX, you know, you've got the DFW, and, and we could put that right mm. at the VNIC level yeah. and, and enforce. With ACI, I I couldn't do that because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're coming into um, you know endpoint groups. We even looked at micro um, EPGs as well, but it just it was maybe it's been improved since then, but uh, <laughs> when we looked, uh, it this was a difficult fit for us. You know, it it, it definitely done security enforcement, but uh, it, it just didn't fit with our backend. I don't I don't think Cisco's proven that it can do software well yet, in the sense that uh, VMware's always done software 
competently, shall we say. NSXT's had a bumpy ride as it comes to market, for example. Hello, Packet Pushers listeners. Just a quick break to tell you about InterOptic, the reliable data interconnect company. 5G, IoT, 4K video, or any high bandwidth activity is going to require smart decisions at the optics level. InterOptic understands you need a more nimble Layer 0, and they support the full range of products you need today and don't yet know you'll need tomorrow. Layer 0 is more important than ever, so learn how to spec optics so your network environment can scale with your bandwidth demands. And stop paying OEM prices for optics and start talking to the optics experts who deliver brand-equivalent transceivers at a fraction of the price. And don't be fooled by less reliable optics. The difference between generic, third-party, and brand-equivalent optics matters. There are a lot of cheap products on the market, and it's easy to get confused. So here's some clarity. You can purchase the same, if not better, performing optics designed by engineers who truly understand what you need at a fraction of the cost. It's time to take control of your optics purchase with InterOptic. As your network gets more complex, you want to reduce your risk of downtime, so work with the optics experts at InterOptic. Go to interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. That's interoptic.com slash packet dash pushers. And now, back to the show. VMware generally gets their software right fairly quickly, whereas Cisco, when it produces software, it seems to struggle a little bit with quality, and it also has a gap between what it promises to you and then what it actually delivers. And I've always found that to be undermining my confidence um, when I'm working with your with customers too. They tell me the same thing. When I'm working with Cisco virtual switches, I had the same problem with the NX1000V and so on before that. We had so many problems with it. Was that? Did you have similar problems with the quality of it? Um, well, with it, not necessarily with the quality of the ACI stuff because we just got into it, but we do. We have got a good track record with um, VMware and you know, they are all about the software, really. That's, mm-hmm. that's where they, that's their arena. So, you know, it turned out decent stuff and and we knew a way around it and we were confident and comfortable with it. Cisco, and it was integrated with, I guess at the end of the day, the business, you know, it's just because it's so integrated with the VMs, it just doesn't make sense to go the other way. Yeah. yeah. So th- it is integrated with the VMs, you're right. And we do run a lot. We run vSphere and, and, and all that kind of stuff. We we run ESX. Um, yeah on our hosts, but we were also making noises as well, or different parts of the business were making noises about containers and maybe uh, different hypervisors, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of uh, is part of the reason we started looking at T as well, yeah. which... So you skipped V completely. Well, it didn't happen quite as quickly as that. And that, <laughs> that, you know, that was, you know, makes it sound like a really easy decision, but uh, we stressed over this for quite a while. You know, we we tried things. Well, we had to say we there wasn't many of us looking at it. It was predominantly myself, and you know, I pull in a couple others as we fit and try to you know, get some help on it. But we went from ACI, we went from spine leaf to ACI. Was comfortable with that. Then ACI on its own, not so comfortable. V on top of ACI, yeah, that works. But yeah. then it was a case of V. Uh, what, what's this T thing, you know, and why is T there alongside V? And then we realized, well, not realized, but we thought, is, is V going to be, a, you know, around? How long is that going to be around? If we go V, yeah. you know, are we going to have to migrate to T later on? Yeah. Try, try, try telling that to, uh, you know, a bunch of application owners, you know, millions of pounds worth of stuff going through the application that, you know, I actually need to migrate you. And- you only get one <laughs> chance at the switch. Yeah, you only get one yeah. chance at this. Yeah. So you might as well bite off on the harder part, slow yourself down even. Yeah, so we did buy the hard part off, but there was no slowdown, unfortunately, because the, the you know, time was ticking on and the fact that the initial uh, reason for looking at all this was, if you remember, we ran out of ports or getting that yeah. way. So that wasn't going away. So we're still getting the, the door knocked on by people saying, come on, you know, we need a solution for this and we need, yeah. we need to get, um, we need something in the diary that's going to be uh, so more. So can I ask a question about when you deployed ACI? Because there's been a fairly rapid progression by Cisco from one version one to version three over the last five years. Yeah. Have you been caught up in the upgrade process? And what was your experience of that? No. Uh, so we, things happened pretty quickly and we came straight in. Uh, well, actually, that's not quite true. We came in about two, but we've just upgraded to three. And, um, and that's where we're sitting at the moment. And was the process smooth? Yeah, it, it was. Actually, yeah. no. I'd say uh, it was smooth. We're, we're on four now. Um, mm-hmm. We just upgraded again. 
uh, a couple of weeks ago. And the we looked at the upgrade matrix and it said it was going to be good. And we touched base with the guys in TAC and made sure that they knew where we were coming from and going right. to. And mm. yeah, actually worked. Yeah. Mm. Okay. yeah that, that correlates with some of the experience we've heard from some other people, Greg, that work with ACI, that the early versions were a bit troublesome. And then as you yes. you're buggy and so on, and then as you get into the later code mm-hmm. of ACI, it, it, it has matured up a bit and, and stabilized. Although they, man, there's a lot of new features that went into 3.0 and 3.2, I think, and then 4.0. So yes, yes. Uh, it's, it's a substantially different product. And, yeah. you know, my, I've been a fairly negative about ACI, mainly based on the feedback coming back that people are saying ACI 1.2 was just yes. pretty horrible. Rough. And, they haven't got a nice thing to say about it. Actually, I haven't heard anybody say anything. And the fact that you came in at two and have moved forward to three, four, and maybe even at two, you didn't, you went, sounds like you didn't go live with two from the sounds of it. No, no, nor, nor three. We're, we're yeah. on four and we're just going live now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So your experience is you've, you're at the end result of seven or eight years of software, um, software, imp- you know, Cisco does take five to eight years to stabilize their software. They'll ship it incomplete and unfinished and untested and then see what the customers like and then if it's if customers actually buy it then they'll finish it off and wrap it down that's my personal view and i'm not a fan of that i think customers should be a vendor should do a better job of producing and this is all vendors but cisco particularly has this problem they'll ship an unfinished and untested product and 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 let customers sort it out sort of thing so i'd say you know based on that that ACI 4.0 might be worth looking at. The question I have, though, is another question I have. Are you using it for data center interconnect? They're pushing very big on the ACI Anywhere, ACI Multi-Cloud, and ACI as a DCI technology. Have you deployed that yet, or are you still? No, no, we're just using it really cleanly as uh, in one data center, well, four, but, you know, individually, just just take the packets and move them around. We are using it for our... um, we use the border lease to go out to WAN for new WAN connectivity. So we use an L3 out and a BGP from it too. But mm-hmm. essentially, we're using it um, really as simply as possible in the hope, apart from connecting new leafs to it, in the hope that really ACI doesn't need much poking or touching at all. Right. For tenant uh, stuff going forward, that'll uh, be okay. within NSA. So you're actually not using all of the features that you could. You've actually simplified it to the point Big where time. nothing goes wrong. Yeah, that's a a hope, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Then I think I know the answer to this next question based on what you just said, but I want to ask it anyway. Do ACI and NSX know about each other in some way? Are they talking to each other? Is there some integration that you've done? Not, not with T. Um, with V, uh, you can do the VMM integration, and we looked at that briefly, and as much as when you spin up an EPG uh, with a VMM, it will port vCenter, and before you know it, you'll have a port group there. as well as your EPG, that's that's the um, integration it's got with V. Uh, of course, we didn't go for V in the end. We we moved straight to T. Uh, so. Why aren't they doing that for T? I mean, that same information is available from vSphere or from the NSX controller, even from an API. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's not there. I mean, uh, I'm not sure why, but yeah, uh. the the uh, there is no need or, or no interaction really between ACI and, and NSX. I wonder why they, yeah, that's just an interesting, be interesting to speculate why Cisco isn't, you know, moving quickly to integrate ACI with NSX so that, you know, so that features like that work for customers. I mean, I would imagine that customers would want that. It's not like they could turn around and say customers aren't asking well, for, for it. For V, Greg, I would see that being much more of a demand than T. I just am... No. My perception is V is much more in use out there than than the T flavor of NSX. So from a customer demand perspective, it could be that. And mm. then the other piece is, as always, there is a tension between Cisco and VMware with these two products. Yes, we've read the blog post that talk about, yeah. yes, you can use them both together, blah, blah, blah. But there's still always that competitive tension. And, and you got to wonder what would motivate Cisco to do integrations or not do integrations from a competitive and even a few for the V for the VMM, um, Cisco, um, you know, has the VMM plugin and it works. But you know, you can read plenty of documentation as we came across that VMware weren't happy about the ACI plugin, and you know, and they actively there's papers out there from VMware that will say, "Don't do it." Quite frankly, you know, they don't support it. Mm. 
I wonder if that's I wonder if that's a competitive thing, like NSX doesn't want to do business with ACI, or whether it's because Cisco's software developers decided to use a path that doesn't fit NSX's model. Could be a combination of things. Mm. Could be a combination. It's, we didn't yeah, have to I've, go down that route too far because we yeah. we looked at T, but yeah, it could it could be a combination yeah. of all that, Larry's. Yeah. The ACI people might have decided to use an API that was obsolete, was still there, but it was going away. And then they would say, they said, well, we've done the development now. We're not going to do it again. And unless you deprecate the API, and if you do, we're going to go and tell your customers that it's your fault. So, <laughs> you know, I, I, that's a viable story, whether it's true or not. If anybody wants to, you know, send us the details, we'll add them to the show to the show notes. But uh, I've heard equally petty stories on many different levels for this sort of stuff over the years. Just yeah. interesting to see um so you're not using the data center connect. You're not. You haven't had the upgradability because you've really only you've deployed three and upgraded to four before you went live. So you yeah. don't have any of the history. You're not using. Are you integrating ACI with the load balancers? Like, are you using F5 load balancers and orchestrating those from ACI? So Cisco has a lot of partners like Palo Alto and F5 and those types of people integrating with the ACI so that you could automate the setup of those. Are you using any of that capability, or is all that done in from ESX? Uh, yeah. So we. And really, that was another reason to, when we were evaluating ACI and deciding that we weren't going to go fully ACI, that I really didn't want to get into too much of that service insertion stuff. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we nat, as we come in, we nat on virtual firewalls. And we, part of the whole policy uh, restructure um, means that we, are, we want to get rid of those virtual firewalls. Well, ACI doesn't do nat natively. Mm. Uh, and so it would just mean... Again, we'd have to introduce something it would, maybe some more of a, you know, keep the virtual firewalls or something similar. That would mean service insertion. That just mm. gets more complicated. Mm. Exactly. You can do it in NSX anyway. Exactly. You can do, yeah, yeah, you can do the NSX on, uh, do the NAT on the NSX T. Yeah. Well, I think you can now. You um, can. They, they have yeah. load balancers as well. You know, there's yeah. load balancer built into the edge functionality in NSX. So well, when we were weighing it up and, you know, writing out what ACI uh, offered and what NSX offered, then it, Sounds it, it, like your story is really about NSX is what it did for you, and you might be using ACI, and, and I think we've talked too much about ACI really because all you're doing is simplifying the physical part, but most of the heavy lifting is being done in the NSX. A lot of the heavy lifting, a lot of the the contain the stuff in the container, the stuff that actually the the tenants use, the, the yes. room switching, all of security, that. multi-tenancy yeah. model. Yeah. But the flip side of it is you don't have to. I imagine you barely work on the ACI because it just there it's kind of done it is but that's because of the work we put up front in getting the object model right so the the Mm. thing so the bgp part of aci and yeah we'll get off aci in a second but the bgp (laughs) part that's set right yes we shouldn't need to touch that no from dealing with the filters prefixes coming in and out The, the bit that really helps us is that uh when we add new pods uh of course they come with new leafs because we we've as well as doing ACI and NSX, we've also come up mm. with a new pod structure. Yeah. It has IP storage instead of fiber channel, but that's a different story. But a new pod's coming with a bunch of leafs, and it, ACI just makes that, adding the leafs in, yeah. bringing them into the fabric, and then, boom, the straight added into the, the yeah. right yeah. object. That's, that's not magic anymore. Cloud no. Vision does it. Pika yeah. 8 has a solution that does that. Uh, Contrail does that. Zero-touch provisioning is kind of like beginner stuff these days, what we're really talking about with SDN. Now, I'm not dip, not deprecating the value of that in, an, in a large organization with multiple da- data centers, mm. but where I really see value these days is how do I automatically apply security policy, networking security policy to a virtual machine? And ACI has no part to play in that for anybody I've spoken to because that's all being done up in the VM or in the container via some other networking, some sort of service mesh or virtual switching strategy. There's different ways of doing it. NSX is the most popular. But ACI is really just saying, here's your switches, here's an ESP, gave you a lot more scale out. Um, so I guess the question is, is ACI good value for money? If all it's doing for you is fairly simple tasks, is it good value for money? Yeah, it is because they, it was no more expensive than if I was going to be buying the switches to do um, spine leaf. Native. So it didn't cost you anything? They gave it to you for no. free? No, it was the same price. So the, right. the ACI bundle at the time, yeah. uh, prices, the individual switches, and I suppose you get some APIC on top of that. It was all the same. Okay. It had been more... We would have had to think twice about it, but it wasn't. 
Let's pause for a short message from one of today's sponsors, Cumulus Networks. Did you know that in 2019, there are probably more than 100 IT networking certification credentials? So why would Cumulus launch another one? Because what's out there doesn't address open, standard, Linux-based switching and infrastructure networking. Cumulus believes that open networking is inevitable, so the company's built a training and certification program to prepare engineers for the future. Take your networking skills up a notch and become a true solutions architect in open systems by becoming a Cumulus Certified Open Networking Professional, or CCONP. What's in the program? You'll learn Linux networking fundamentals, including essential concepts and commands behind Linux-based open networking. You'll learn Cumulus Core. That's everything you need to know to become proficient in Cumulus Linux. And of course, you'll be ready to take the Cumulus Certified Open Networking Professional exam and become CCONP certified. And the first 100 to earn the cert will get exclusive swag. To learn more about the program and to get started, head to cumulusnetworks.com slash cert. That's cumulusnetworks.com slash cert. And Cumulus also wrote about its new program on Packet Pushers. So if you want even more detail, go to packetpushers.net and search for the State of Networking Certifications. We thank Cumulus for being a sponsor. And now, back to the show. So Derek, I got a couple more operational questions for you that had come through from your initial, hey, I want to talk about this project. Uh, One was storage traffic. You mentioned there was FCOE back in the original pod mix and and so on. Just talk briefly about storage and how that impacted any of this. Um, Yeah, so the the existing pods, um, they have uh, a couple of racks of storage. And and yeah, that's right. It's FCOE. And I... You know, FC is just complicated. It's complicated, and you need certain bits of kit that deals can deal with FCOE and then break out the um, FC into the arrays. And we just want to get away from that and just uh, have um, IP-based storage. So the new pods that we needed, wanted to design that um, was going to connect into ACI, um, we... We, we wanted to, to get rid of the FC uh, part and just basically bring it back to simple IP um, networking. And it was as simple as that, really, just just to create a, a simpler a simpler profile. Yeah, once you do that, right, then the complexities of uh, including fiber channel in the mix just, just go away. You don't have to worry about exactly. lossless. You don't have to worry about DCB. And now it's just it's it's IP traffic. Um, exactly. Is there still some kind of a, you know, a QoS or like a guaranteed delivery profile that you had to, to apply for the storage traffic? No, we, we come out of physical, different physical NICs on each host for storage traffic. Uh, so we, we, you know, they connect to the separate ports, uh, but the, we're not running any QoS uh, natively for that. Um, we, we just basically got enough bandwidth to be able to deal yep. with that. Yep, yep, that's uh, <laughs> bandwidth is the best QoS of all. Absolutely. <laughs> See, he's just he's just saying that to be nice to me, Ethan. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, buddy. I, QoS yeah. in the data center. I am not a fan. You know, if you if you really got if you got that much contention in the data center that QoS is what's saving your storage traffic, mm, something went wrong somewhere. Anyway, um, Derek, <laughs> another question for you architecturally, or I guess I guess this is more more operationally actually is Ansible. You mentioned that Ansible became a part of this ACI NSX cake that you're baking here. What, what is Ansible doing for you guys? Uh, so uh, Ansible is one of the solutions we're looking at, but really initially uh, when we were looking at all this, um, because we thought that most of the churn and most of the changes were gonna, was going to be on NSX, we started looking at Terraform. And I, uh, as well as knowing nothing about ACI and nothing about NSX for I started this, knew nothing about Terraform, nothing about Ansible. It just had been something I'd not dipped my uh, foot into or toe into at all. So we started looking at Terraform because we wanted uh, something that was going to take from the internal policy at request um, kind of application that sits within the company. Once... Uh, 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 I want A to talk to B had been approved. It needed some way of actually communicating with NSX to get the DFW to do what we wanted it to do, to you know, put the policy on that. Um, so we, we started looking at Terraform because Terraform had a provider uh, published at the time for NSXT. Uh, NSXT's got you know, a, a, an open API, as you know, so it all seemed to join up together. We, we, there wasn't much off Ansible at the time when we looked. So we started looking at Terraform for that, and and that seemed to work all right. I was interested also in using it to spin up a new compartment. Um, NSX is filled with 
T0s, T1s and all that kind of stuff. So, And we could do all of that uh, from the re research i done with Terraform. So that all looked good. The ACI part, I didn't know exactly what I could automate and even what I would want to automate. But you know, when we looked at Terraform back a, a year ago, there wasn't an answer for ACI in Terraform, but there was with Ansible. So we we kind of parked it for a while while we were getting all the rollouts, you know, get, ordering all the kit, getting it to site, all that kind of stuff that you need to do. And then um, I started having a look and thinking, you know, what could I do with Ansible? And it, really, uh, it only dawned on me or or became any use when when I got a problem I needed to solve. And, you know, I've heard that from various people, whether they're, you know, dealing with Python or whatever they're dealing with. Once they got a problem they needed to solve, that's when they, they you know, finally managed to get make mm. some sense of it all. Yeah. Uh, and what we had was uh, the, the, the fabric, the ACI fabric it would put on the ground to get something out of it straight away. We needed to connect the pods to it pretty quickly. And, uh, nothing to do with NSX at this point. We just needed to connect pods and layer two it back to the original network and allow the um, any new VMs to be V-motioned over or built on the new infrastructure. And to do that, I needed to um, take all the VLANs that were used in the original infrastructure and pull them over to a, into ACI and down to new pods. Now, a tenant might have, you know, 500-odd VLANs. Some were pre-provisioned for them to use to make it easier to provision new, new, um, new parts in the application. But really what I had to do was go on the fabric and create, because we've done a one-to-one -one bridge domain to EPG, so I had to create 500, if I'm talking, you know, just taking 500 as an example, 500 EPGs, 500 bridge domains, relate them to the all the AEP and all these other bits within ACI I won't go into. But, you know, there was a lot of clicking, if that's the way you were going to do it. So I thought, uh, let, let's have a look at Ansible. Mm. And, um, and we got it up and running. We put it on the server, and we found it was really, really helpful for us. Yeah. And uh, you know, I counted what? up one, one deployment into one fabric with you know, just creating 500 of everything, bridge domains, EPGs. You know, when I counted up the lines of code, it was 160,000 lines of code. Yeah. And, I'm you, know, just, uh, you were talking about 500, and I'm just laughing, going, oh, yeah, if you ask a human to do this, this isn't yeah. getting done correctly the first time, the second time, or the third time. It's going to take a lot of grinding before it's actually completely done. So automating this is like the only sane way to go. I don't know how else you do it. So Exactly. And, uh, you know, I'd, we run the script, and it was done within 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's new to us, and you know we're looking at a few other ways of of or a few other tools for automation. We're also um, also looking at Git and the way that we're going to do that, and how we're actually going to do this in the whole change control process going forward. Um, but it's definitely something we want to not kick the can down the road on and and try and tackle it in a year. We want to start uh, as we mean to go on with with that kind of automation. Now, you mentioned Terraform and you mentioned Ansible both. It sounds like you've ended up with Ansible because it has an answer for ACI to do some of these things. Is, is, does Terraform still have a use case for you? Yeah, it does. So we're still looking at Terraform with um, NSX. Uh, and yeah. we, you know, lately um, uh, there is modules within Terraform for ACI. I haven't looked at them yet, but the, really most of my time up to very, you know, a, number, a few weeks ago, and still was was getting the stuff on the ground and and getting it getting people trained yeah. getting it all yada yada you know normal mm. stuff. we're hearing this we're hearing this a lot ethan these days where people are saying ansible ansible for networking but everybody outside of networking is going terraform terraform mm. and i'm increasingly wondering if ansible is a viable long-term solution now don't get me wrong lots of momentum lots of textbooks lots of example code but the point is is that people are looking at Terraform for multi-cloud deployment. So where the DevOps and the apps people are going is they're going to Terraform for reasons I don't entirely understand and I don't think I can explain, so I won't. But we're down here playing with a completely different language and the market's going in a different direction. And I wonder if networking's making a false move here. Actually, that's been argued, yeah, that, that you know, do, why are we continuing to go down the Ansible path when there's you know, other tools that wouldn't it be nice if we could standardize rather yeah. than having six different tools that we got to use. My understanding is Ansible's good at automating legendary infrastructure um, or as an infrastructure thing, but Terraform's much more focused on working with public clouds 
and you know easily translatable to private cloud and and also to infrastructure it's just a question of there's sort of like a critical mass behind ansible it would be a shame to think that networking wouldn't use this would try to speak a different language in my mind than doing it all with terraform if that's the language that's out there now ansible and terraform are both open so ansible's red hat and terraform is open source ish hashicorp is behind that so they've both got a commercial sponsor so they're both you know, from a business point of view or a sustainability point of view, appear to be fine. But I do get concerned about networking running down a different track that the that the industry is not going down. I think that with uh, Terraform, the thing that uh, when I've looked at it is worry, well, not worrying because there's an answer for it and we are looking at it now. Mm. Is it's a state file? You know, Ansible doesn't hold a state file, but Terraform yeah. does. So you can quickly get out of sync with that and you can, you know, you can screw yourself up royally if you... Um, if you change something that's not done through Terraform, then the state file with is out of sync. So you need an answer for that and some yeah. um, checks and measures put around that. Yeah, most people you... end up deploying a SQL Server or a SQL Light or a YAML file somewhere to hold state between Ansible yeah. runs. Yeah, yeah, that, and that yeah. suddenly becomes unsustainable very quickly. So, Derek, we've had a, a great story here that uh, you've told as we you've walked through this fairly involved transition from what you had to ACI plus NSXT plus some automation with Ansible and Terraform. Um, Maybe we can wrap this podcast up uh, in this way. Are there things that you wish you knew at the start of this whole project that you learned along the way and you know now? Uh, Yeah, well, I've learned a lot, but... um... I, I Has it gotten you a pay rise? That's what I want to know. All that pain, all those late nights, all those manuals, all yeah, that time in the I lab. Mean, Did you yeah. get a pay rise? That, that's what people... If you call grey hair a pay rise, then yeah, <laughs> I got loads of them. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the thing is, um, uh, you know, get your use cases down because these things can end up growing legs and running around. So you've got to get your use cases down. And, and find the solution to fit fit them. The other thing that I found was um, design decisions. You know, get get them noted and record them because again, we, we, in the, in the past hour we've probably covered uh, a, a year a year and a half's worth of work. Mm. But you know as well as me that when you're in the middle of that, there's so much flying about and so many decisions. And why should we do this? And why shouldn't we do that? And you can forget later on. So any decision you make, you know, nail it, get it down, record it. The other thing I found is that, you know, I was trying to learn this stuff as I was going. So I I was building labs and spending nights um, working through them. And, you know, if if I was in NSX and building a management cluster and building all the um, T0s, T1s and everything else that goes there, when I'm doing it, I'll remember it because I'm right there. But (laughs) then if I go away and think about something else for a couple of weeks, you know, I've forgotten half of it. So what I started to do was... Um, recording myself just for my own use. You know, uh, we use Skype internally, but it doesn't matter what you use, just screen share, maybe talk into the mic as you go, and you can watch back later. Uh, one note was my friend as well. You know, I just used to take loads of screen grabs and, and make it really simple so that you think that you've been stupid at the time, but later on, it will pay dividends because you just kind of remind yourself how you do it. Uh, later on, I would always find out that I was being stupid at the time, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'd look at that and go like, in the meantime, I've learned some completely different, better way to do something. And I'd be going like, wow, good attempt, Greg, but. <laughs> uh, some other things, you know, people, um, get people involved from all areas that this is going to touch as early as you can. You know, people are going to have to feed and water this later on, even if they're not feeding into the design process, you know, get them involved and bring them along on the journey with you. Then they'll feel like they're part of it. And that pays dividends later when, you know, they've got to go back to the ops teams, et cetera, et cetera, and actually, you know, get their buy-in and they'll help you with, you know, structure and training, et cetera. And, you know, and and remember and say thanks to them. You know, the people are there. uh, I've had so much help internally from people that just came out of the woodwork and I wouldn't have been able to do half of this stuff and make half the progress I did without without the guys that have helped me. Yeah. So, you know, just remember so that... Then yeah. I, can I be, ask a, a deeper question there? Did you find vendors 
able to help you? Like, could they speak your language? Now, admittedly, you're in the UK. It's a very different organization than here, maybe in different parts. But I've often found a lot of the times when I'm working with a vendor, it comes down to just a couple of people who can help you. But every time you have to contact deeper in the organization, whether you get what you want is uh, flexible. You might not. Did you find that these products gave you good answers and were responsive to helping you? I think because of the size of the company, uh, that helped a lot. Uh, yeah. We 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 have um, people assigned to us. We use some of some credits that we had to get some PS assigned from both VMware and Cisco. Yeah. And you know, I've been out to the cab, uh, Cisco cab. So you know, I, I managed to tap up some people in the BU and just run some stuff past them. So I, I was lucky. I think uh, you know, I got a hold of the right people. And they, and I think it's just the way you are with them. You know, if you if you try and develop and build that relationships mm. with the vendors, and not just treat them as you know they're here to sell me something, you know, I'm watching out for you type of thing, then then they can be more than helpful. And uh, yeah, if you, if you find that you come across uh, somebody in the in the vendor organization that's particularly helpful, then just um, keep them close. Hmm. it does come down to a couple of key people quite often not actually the company itself but the people that you know if you can get lucky enough to catch the right people you can get it done yeah yeah and they've helped me a lot i've I've had a couple of people uh within the vendor organizations that have went above and beyond really because you know i know that even when they stopped their um engagement directly with us on this project you know i've still tapped them up for stuff and i and they take time in the evenings sometimes to give me a call about it so you know let me ask a reverse question then if you couldn't get access to the vendor could you do this alone or with just an ordinary reseller with you know you're an ordinary reseller has limited time and sometimes limited competence to help you could you do this alone or would you definitely need a vendor helping you i definitely need more time that's for sure not not the the pace we had to move uh we cut a lot of corners or not cut corners in a technical sense but we you know, and rather than me having to think, geez, you know, how do I do all this with an L3 out or, you know, where does a T0 fit into all this and how do I do it? You know, we, we got help from the vendor. Sure, I could do it now, but mm. um, they just helped fast forward. Us. Yeah, it would have been difficult in the time that I had to do it. There's only so many hours in the day. and um, Yeah, so time was a bigger, you're saying that time was a pretty big problem for you, yeah. which is fine, but would you recommend to people to... Um, if you couldn't get access to the vendor, you know, VMware or Cisco, you know, whatever the loop might be, would you recommend them to think twice about this? No, no, not certainly not think twice, but be prepared. I mean, I put in a lot of hours and it almost, you know, I was on the rev limiter for months. Uh, that's a different story, but it would have been hard to go from zero to what we've got deployed now uh, without without the help from the vendor. You could do it. Of course you could. Mm. Uh, we're all reasonably bright people. We like to think so anyway. And, and the information is kind of there. Whether it's readily available, that's a different thing. And sometimes you can get lost. You know, you can't see the wood for the trees. Because mm. if, you, if all you've got to rely on is Google, well, geez, you're going to get a lot yeah, of Yeah, Google's back. not going to help you with a new technology. Nah, it's yeah. not. And even if you're, you know, I got an expert at watching YouTube videos at double speed and trying to uh, just get as much information as each night. And I had to do that for months on end. But, and that was with the help of vendors, you know, backing me up and answering any questions I had as mm. well. So it's all doable, but it's tougher. Yeah, it would be tougher. Mm. Well, Derek, this is a good place for us to end our show, I think. Now, um, do you have a, a, a blog or a Twitter handle or anything like that you, that you want to promote? And you don't have to, just but if you did, I want to give you the chance to share with people. Uh, no, I don't, I don't have any of that. You, I'm on LinkedIn. They'll be able to find me there, and they can contact me through that way. If I'm at VMworld in a month or so, so if anybody was interested in um, wanting more details, I'm more than happy to sit down and, and, and share the ins and outs and, and help anybody as much as all the other kind people have helped me along the road. So if, if people want to get in touch and just tap me up for more information or meet up if they're in VMworld, then uh, they're welcome to do so and I'll happily help them as much as possible. That's VMworld in Europe, I guess. Yeah, it's Barcelona in November. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah perfect. Derek, thanks so much for raising your hand. This was indeed as interesting a story as you promised. Great conversation. Uh, just, just fantastic to balance 
um, all of these different components into a solution that meets business needs. We really appreciate that. And hey, if you're out there in the audience listening and you think you've got a project or network transformation story or something like that, that would be in a similar vein. Yeah, let's hear it. Would would love to have you come on the show and tell your story. Mm-hmm. These sorts of use cases and end user stories are really the the heart of what we like to share here at Packet Pushers. So, and just a, just in case you haven't noticed, we didn't necessarily have to talk about who your employer is. We're just talking generally about the experience. So, if you feel that there's a problem about representing your company. That's not what we do here. You are effectively just telling stories over a beer at the bar. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I didn't get a beer. Nobody, <laughs> nobody gave me a beer. <laughs> oh, Greg and I have been pounding them the whole show. You didn't know that? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> we got a little looser as we win. Didn't, didn't you notice, Derek? <laughs> I'm going to have to play catch up. I'm gonna <laughs> well, now that, now that we didn't want you to stop talking, now that we've finished, we can, we can drink all the virtual beers you like. You know? That's right. <laughs> Well, thanks to all of you in the audience for listening. If you visit PacketPushers.net, we got over a thousand other episodes from across our podcast network for networking, infrastructure professionals, along with our community blog. We got news feeds there. If you want to keep up with us, we're on Twitter at PacketPushers. We're on LinkedIn as well. And uh, if you want yet even more content that goes deeper, white papers, eBooks, uh, videos, and so on that is educational and bleeding edge content, that's our Ignition site, ignition.packetpushers.net. We do have a newsletter, the Human Infrastructure Magazine. You can sign up at packetpushers.net slash newsletter if you'd like that. 6,000 some odd other people have done it and uh, enjoy our insights and good links and content that we've gotten out of the industry each and every week. Last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough. <laughs>